0: Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. If you take the Bible beneath the chair in front of you, that'll be page 978 in the Pew Bible. We're gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, uh, but we'll just begin reading in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 17, the word of God reads, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now for our text that we're focusing on this morning. by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us and that you have revealed yourself to us not only in the things that you have made in this world but also specifically through your son. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to come and to save sinners like us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us him who is the way and the truth and the life. And thank you, Lord, that by your grace, we have come to know Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we have been taught about him and that we know him. God, thank you for every person you put in every single individual's life in this room that told them anything true of Christ. May we be forever grateful for those people, Lord. And may we, Father, remember the encouragements, the admonitions, the instructions that they gave us, that they learned from Christ so that we might live and follow Christ. And in following Christ, follow in the footsteps of you, our Father in heaven. Lord, we seek to imitate you. Lord, we seek to put on the new self and live this new life in Christ in such a way that we bear your likeness and live in true righteousness and holiness. Please, oh God, help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 God decided to make known to us his holy and righteous character through his son. And when we look to Jesus and when we've learned about Jesus, we learn about the one who is the very image of the invisible God, that one who bears the closest resemblance possible to God the Father, And so when we learn about Christ, we learn about what it looks like to live like our Father in heaven. And that's the thrust of what Paul is seeking for believers to do in their new life. He wants them to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Thus we're following the example of God. And shortly later he says that, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And above that, says that in verse 24 of chapter 4 that we're to put on the new self. This is the, the new life that we've been called to live, and then that we progressively live more and more, which is a life that is created, it says here, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You have to understand that The world is full of people who want to tell you and tell me how we should live our lives. Everything you turn on, everything you listen to, everything you scroll past, all the people you talk to, do you notice that most of it is people telling you how you should live your life? And sometimes there's good advice, and you're thankful for that. No doubt all of us have benefited from wise counselors in our lives who have told us, hey, you don't want to do that, or hey, you should do this, or hey, follow me. Let me teach you how I do this, and you've benefited from that. But no doubt as well you've had foolish, terrible, bad advice. Her, and and, and you, the person tried to get you to do something that they did, but it, you followed them and you learned that just like for they did, that was a terrible thing to do. That was not worth it. That was not wise. It was not something that you should do. You should not have been living your life that way. And so constantly we're bombarded with different traditions, different philosophies, different ideas being pressed upon us, calling us to conform to their image and telling us how to live our lives. So who do we listen to? Isn't that an incredibly confusing thing? Just be bombarded with messages of how you should live your life all the time and, and, then, and then a lot of times they don't even agree, right? And they, and they contradict, what should we do? Some people, though, go so far as to tell you that you shouldn't listen to anyone. And then you think about what they just said to you. (laughs) And you think, should I listen to you? So clearly I should be listening to someone because if I say no one should listen to anyone, then I'm just, I'm destroying myself, right? That collapses on itself. So there is someone worth listening to, and that's the truth. The truth is always worth, worth listening to, and the truth, as we read in our passage, is in Jesus, And we learned of Jesus and we learned the truth. And so we learned this new life of following Christ is to look like his. And when it looks like his, it looks like his father's. And that's what we're after. How then shall we live? We wanna live how Jesus told us to live, which is how the father sent him to tell us how to live. And which is really just teaching us to live and to be like God is. Is there anyone more happy, more joyful, more perfect, more holy than God? So, so if you're telling me how to live and God's telling me how to live, the wise thing to do would be to not listen to you and to listen to him. Amen? And so that's what we have in our text. But even then, when you think about this new life in Christ, it's very helpful to get specifics. And that's what we have in our passage. This brings us to the main idea, and that's that in Ephesians chapter four, verse 25 to 32, we see five roles that show us very practically how to live our new life as followers of Christ so that we will walk like God in true righteousness and holiness. So let's dig into this text together. I have some, I have some fill in the blanks for you that you can fill out as we go. But the first new role that shows us very practically how to live our new life in Christ so that we will walk like God in true righteousness and holiness is to live as members. That's to live as members. If you're gonna walk in newness of life as you follow Christ with others, you have to live as members. We know that we serve a triune God. We serve a God who is one God in three persons, and this one God in three persons is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they each person perfectly loves and speaks the truth to the other. They are in perfect unity, and that unity is what is also to be embodied with us who have come to know Christ and become what the scriptures and what Paul says, the body of Christ. And within that body, there's supposed to be the same sort of tight, close, organic relation. And to do all that, you have to be people who speak the truth. We see in chapter 4, verse 25... That this new life requires putting away falsehood and each one one of us speaking the truth with his neighbor. If you remember back in in chapter 2, we saw the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did through his sacrifice on the cross. That he brought both Jew and Gentiles together in one body. He made both Jews and Gentiles members of the body of Christ. A member is like my arm. You do not want to separate members. You do not want to divide members. You need all the members working together, Paul says in chapter 4, in order for there to be, uh, with each part, working properly, the ability for this body to grow and to function and to build itself up in love. And so if you are going to wonder, how, what am I going to do in this new life of serving Christ, you need to keep in mind that you must live as members. And I'm getting that because verse 25 says that put away falsehood and let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one Of another. What happens if the members don't speak the truth to each other? Can you imagine a uh, 100-meter hurdles runner blasting out of that, you know, position, and that leg says, "Yep, this hurdle's coming, and I'm gonna go right over it," uh, only to get close and then have that leg not move at all. What's going to happen? You're going to plow through that. You might break your leg or your neck, and you're going to crash, and you're going to fall. The members of the body have to speak the truth to each other. This is of greatest importance. In order to do that and fulfill that role, there's two responsibilities. The first is to put away falsehood, which essentially means to stop lying. It's to stop deceiving. It's to have nothing to do with anything that is is false. How many of you like being lied to? How many of you want to work closely, side by side, with another person who is not telling you the truth? Who is lying to you? Who is hiding things from you? Who is covering things? who thinks, oh, I can't trust this person with the whole story. So I'm just going to give them half the story, even though I know the whole story. And even though by selling them half the story, they're going to make a decision on half the story and be misled. How many of you want to work with a person like that? So in order for us to serve as members and fulfill that role, we have the responsibility of putting away falsehood. When you don't tell the truth, When you don't speak the truth to one another, you don't feel that you can trust each other. And when you can't trust each other, it totally shatters unity. And when you shatter the unity, then you shatter all hopes of being a a united, efficient, powerfully working unit. The body cannot work if it is not working together. cannot work properly if it's not working together. And so in order to do that, we have to put off all falsehood, lying. It has no place in our new life in Christ. But the second responsibility is not just to put off the lying and the deceit, but to put on truthful speech. Verse 25 says, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That requires humility. That requires being totally honest not obscuring information, not covering things, but being open, clear, transparent about what's going on to the best of your ability. And when you do that, you build trust, you don't undermine it, you maintain unity, and you can work together, and you can accomplish things. John Chrysostom brings up an illustration. He asks, if the eye sees a serpent... Does it lie to the foot? How many y'all want a foot like that? Or how many y'all want an eye like that? If the eye sees a serpent, does it lie to the foot? Or if the nose smells a deadly drug, will it lie to the mouth? Or if the tongue tastes something bitter, will it lie to the stomach? In the same way, we should have nothing to do with lying to each other because we are all each part members of the body of Christ and we need constant communication happening that is truthful communication. You are members. And as members with that new role, your responsibility is to put off all falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor. If you're sore, if you're weak, How is anyone else going to know unless you say something and speak the truth? When someone asks you, how are you? Are you ready for this? How are you doing? You say, yeah, I'm just fine. But no, you're not fine. Guess what you've just done? (laughs) You've spoke falsely. You see, when when, when a part of my body is hurting, then it sends that message and the rest of the body can do what? It can compensate for that. It's crazy how much the body can still do while you have members that are tired and members that are hurting because of the ability to do that because they can send this communication to each other and they can say, oh, I need help. Oh, you need help. I'm gonna do a little bit extra. That's how we bear one another's burdens in the body of Christ. And so how should we live? We should live as members who speak the truth, and who communicate honestly with each other, and when we do that, we are being truth speakers, and we're following in the footsteps of our Father in heaven. We're following Jesus, who is the truth, and who spoke the truth, and the God who cannot lie. So may we as members have nothing to do with lies, and I just take a moment to ask you, are you speaking the truth to each other? Is there anything in your life right now that you're being deceitful about? Anything that you're hiding? Information you're withholding from someone to benefit yourself and not them? Speak the truth. Speak the truth. As members, we must speak the truth. So how shall we live? We should live as members. But secondly also, as soldiers. The next very practical role that's given to us here and how we are to live our new life as followers of Christ is that role of soldiers. Live as soldiers. Verse 26 and 27 says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see it. Live as soldiers. Some of you thinking I'm not following at all. Okay, let's jump to chapter six then, real quick. You notice that we have mention of the devil. We jump to chapter six, verse ten. It says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." Are you feeling a little bit more like a soldier now? Okay. There's a real supernatural devil who is the enemy who is seeking to, prow- who is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, and you and I need to stand against him. So be strong and stand against the schemes of the devil. Going on in chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against Rulers and authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We have, it would have been nice for us to be born into a world that was completely at peace where everyone was on the same side. But that's not the world we were born into. We were born on the battlefield. We were born in the very midst of a spiritual war. That war is between God and his angels and those whom he has redeemed and with the devil and demons and all those who are following After the devil and those demons. And what we find is that we were all born into this world. And guess what? We were born on the wrong side. We were born, according to Ephesians chapter 2, in a place where we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And he says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And Paul says, among whom we all once lived. So you and I were born in the middle of a spiritual war and we were born on the wrong side. And we did not even care that we were on the wrong side till we learned of Christ. And then we began to see that he will defeat the devil and that he has conquered the devil on the cross and he has conquered death and he has ascended to heaven and he's gonna come back and he's gonna reign over everything. He's gonna take the devil and his demons and those who follow him and throw them and torture them in the lake of fire for all eternity. That's the wrong side to be on. But that's the side we were born on. But by God's grace, every single believer here has then been born again onto the right side now you are in the lord's army now you are serving christ who is the captain who is the lord of hosts and so live as soldiers and here you may you 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 may be wondering what does anger have to do with living as soldiers what does anger have to do with spiritual warfare? And you may think it's not a big deal. I can be angry at my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I can harbor bitterness and hatred against them. And, and there's you know it's not not a big deal. Wrong. It is a big deal. Because essentially what this text is saying is that you are, by doing that, opening, giving entry, inviting Satan, the enemy, to come in instead of holding the line, defending the line, you're breaking the line and saying, come in here, buddy, come in through this way and go ahead and wreak havoc on us all. Destroy the whole camp. That's how serious bitterness, unforgiveness... Malice is. That's how serious it is when we do not reconcile immediately. We totally fail as soldiers. We compromise our defense. And every moment that we are not united, every moment that a believer has bitterness against another believer is an opportunity for the enemy to attack and destroy so it's crucial that we deal with anger in a way that's appropriate. Now, if you're a soldier, uh, you know that just because you're a part of an army does not mean that the rest of those people in that army are perfect. And one of the easiest ways to destroy your enemies, to divide your enemy from within your enemy, within their camp, if you can get them to turn against each other within, then you can attack and assault from without. Jesus says, that a, a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? So this is, this is common knowledge. Get the people to, to, to turn towards each other and to fight and to bicker and to not reconcile. And guess what? They're distracted and they're weak and they're vulnerable to attack now because they got their eyes on each other rather than standing watch. And so we have to, we have to take anger seriously Paul's Paul's statement here is be angry and do not sin. That shows us something important. When you are sinned against, our natural response, and it's a normal response, is to be angry. That shouldn't have happened. You shouldn't have done that. How does God feel when sins are committed? You shouldn't have done that. That is morally repulsive in my eyes. Repent. We should have that same sort of response. So there's a way to be angry and not sin. And that's exactly what's called for. Because as you're serving with people and you're serving with them next to you, they're going to wrong you. They're going to do things that offend you. They're going to fail you. But what do you do next? Do you let that anger then move you to sin? Do you take vengeance do you slander in return? Do you revile in return? Do you attack them? Do you, do you ignore them? Do you cut them off forever and never forgive them? What do you do once you've been wronged? Because you can be angry and not sin, but guys, that is very, very difficult. But we have to do it. That's what we are called to be angry and do not sin. And he says here, do not let the sun go down upon your anger, lest you give an opportunity to the devil. And so the point here is, when's the best time to reconcile with a person who I'm fighting with on the same team, soldiers in the same army? How soon should we squash the beef, forgive each other, and move on together? as soon as possible. Or as Paul says here, daily. Like you don't let this thing fester, you don't let this thing go on, and you let it fester and you don't deal with it. You, you know, all the thoughts that you have and all the more anger that, that can, can come from that, it's so much better to just kill it right there. Go to one another. I think a text that Paul has in mind here is Leviticus chapter 19. He says uh, in verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So did somebody hurt you? What do you do? I'm just gonna hate them in my heart for a few weeks and then pray about what to do next. (laughs) No, Go and reason frankly. Go be a truth. Speak, speak the truth in love to your neighbor. That hurt me. That, that, I felt that you sinned against me by doing this or by saying this. Go win your brother. Show them their sin. And Jesus says, as often as your brother comes to you and says, I repent, you forgive him. As much as 70, you know, 7 times 70 or whatever. In a day, even. This is what soldiers do to stay united to stay working together, to hold the line, uh, and to be a united group. So live as a soldier. So we have live as members, live as soldiers, and this leads to third, live as providers. If you're going to live your new life in Jesus Christ, then you need to understand and fulfill the new role that you have now as providers. We see this in verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the role here is that role of provider, having something to share with someone, anyone in need. And the responsibilities. in order for you to do that, you have first negatively, let the thief no longer steal, then you have the second positively, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And so this new life in Christ, you are given a role, and that role is the role of provider. And when you fulfill that role as provider, guess whose footsteps you're following in? You're following the Lord Jesus And he's following his Father, whom the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, created everything and provides everything for everyone and sustains everything. And he's dependent upon no one. And he always has something to give. And so you're following like your Father, and you are walking uh, like him when you are living as a provider. Now, there's a way to live and walk as a provider that is not righteous and is not holy and we're not after that remember in chapter 4 we're, we we're putting on the new self that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness that means that we must provide like God provides God provides in all morally beneficial righteous ways there is no unholiness or unrighteousness in his provision and so what does this mean? This means that you need to put off any stealing. You need to put off any thievery. You need to put off any of this taking without permission, that which belongs to someone else, temptations that you have in your heart. And you need to provide positively, genuinely, honestly, hardworkingly for yourself and for others. Are any of you guys stealing, whether from your parents, whether from your job, from your employer, from your children, from your grandparents, from your neighbor, from the government? Are you taking without permission that which belongs to someone else? If you are, you may think, oh, I'm doing it for good reason. Oh, I'm doing it because I, I, I need to provide. No. When you do that, you're not providing in the way that God does, which is in righteousness and holiness. You need to figure out another way. And your new life in Christ demands this. Your role as provider has to, in order for it to be fulfilled, requires you to put that all away. Put it all away. And, and I'll just throw out here that, that, that you know, ever since the boom of the whole digital space, there's a billion ways to steal digitally that feel like you're not doing anything, you're not taking from anyone. And so it's very easy to justify taking stuff that does not belong to you, that you have not paid for, that somebody was trying to get paid for so they could feed their kids and you're taking advantage of that and you're stealing. Uh, I'll confess, uh, and I, I stole I don't, just so much music online Napster, LimeWire, these different, these different, all these different stuff when I was, back when I was younger. You can, you can find so many ways to steal, but we should have nothing to do with it. It says the thief will not inherit the kingdom of God. We must repent of our stealing and live as providers. Those who are stealing are not providing. You know what they're doing is they're transgressing. Because what God, God is the one who gives to all people. God as the supreme provider enables us to provide by giving to us. And when God gives to one person, he's giving something to them that's theirs and doesn't belong to anyone else. And that's why we should not covet it. And that's why we cannot try to take it. Because that thing is something that God has given them. And so to do so is to defy the authority of God and is to absolutely trample the personal rights of that person. There can be no love in stealing. There's no holiness or righteousness there either. So what do we do instead? In order to fulfill this role, we have to positively then do honest work. It says, but, but rather let him labor. Well, well I, maybe I don't have a lot of skills and st- like I made more money when I was stealing. Well, too bad. <laughs> Trust God as the provider and get to work. And this word for labor, it's strenuous. It's going to be hard. It's by its by the sweat of your brow. It's not easy. It's going to take a lot of you. But quit the stealing and do honest, hard, genuine labor so that you can be a provider. If you're doing work that requires people to sin in the creation of that product or in, in the... The, the accomplishing of that service or if that product or service has an immoral end in and of itself, guess what you should do? Quit that job. If your job requires you to lie, requires somebody else to lie, requires you to cheat, requires you to cover, requires you to do anything that is not above reproach that you could not stand before God and say, yeah, this was good. I worked with my hands what was good and honest, then get rid of it. Trust God that he'll provide for you a new job that he'll provide for your needs and do honest labor. I think that sometimes we go to work and we can have the tendency to think that this is not that spiritual. My job is not that spiritual, so it kind of doesn't really matter what what I do too much at my job. Brothers and sisters, your job is you functioning in the role of provider. And when you're functioning in the role of provider so that you have enough for yourself, so that you can be independent, so that you could even have access to give to those in need, that's a glory spiritually. It doesn't get much more spiritual than that. So don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. When you go to work, you're going to do the same thing in the same way for the same ends that God does. Work to provide for others. And, and here the goal is also to have something to give to others as well. Um, Paul hits on the importance of, of hard work in a lot of different places. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 and 12 says, When we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Are you doing honest work? Are you working hard? Are you laboring? Anything less than that is not going to please or honor God. And, and maybe for some of you who are younger, and you feel like, no, I, you know, I am still under, by God's grace, the provision of my father, or my mother, or, or grandparents. You know what you should be doing? Working hard to support them in the ways that they're providing for your family and the families around. And, and, and you should not be spending your entire life playing video games like I did, But work hard and get a useful skill and and learn something so that you can provide. You want to be a provider. That's what you're called to in Christ. So live as that. And if you're not there yet as a young person, work towards it and keep working towards it so that you can have something to give to those who are in need as well. John 10.10 says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May we, through our providing, in a small way, do the same. This leads to the fourth practical way for us as followers of Christ to live our new life. How should we live? We should live as members, we should live as soldiers, we should live as providers, and now fourth, we should live as builders. Live as builders. In verse 29 through 30, we read, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, if you're going to put away the old man, and you're going to put on the new man, and if you're going to be renewed in your mind and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, if you're going to to do this work that you, you have been called to, you must live as a builder. You're not building with your hands, but you're building people up with your words. And so our speech is the means by which we construct and edify others. Look at how Paul has mentioned this back in chapter four, verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head. So the means by which we build each other up is through speaking and with our words. In order to accomplish that role, We have two responsibilities, the first negatively, to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, and then the second, uh, positively, to speak only that which is good for building up. Let's think first about that first part. If you're gonna fulfill the role as builder with your words, then that means that you don't use words that don't do building, and you don't use words that destroy, you don't use words that tear down your brother or your sister in Christ, you are careful Every word is precious and is is to be like a little gift-wrapped present for the person next to you. Every encounter that you have with a brother and sister in Christ on Sunday and on every other day of the week, you should be thinking, Lord, help me, show me, protect and guard my mouth so that I only speak what builds this person up. And we are to not let any corrupting talk come out of our mouths. This word for corrupting speaks of that which is rotten uh, or putrid. That's used to refer to rotting fish or fruit. Something smells horrible. Think of the most horrible smelling thing. Uh, Maybe that's different for different people. I ran over a skunk on the way to church this morning. And I I think skunks smell nasty, but uh, some people like that smell. I won't tell you who one of your pastors, but I won't get any more close than that. Uh, if it smells bad, you don't want to eat it. So if, if what you're saying stinks, then don't say it because nobody wants to their ears to take that in and consume it. And, and notice here, let no corrupting talk, not even a little bit, not even a, you know, okay, I'm in, uh, you know, it's time to relax, it's time to just be with the boys, and, and, and no, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Only what is good for building. And so be on guard for this. Pay attention to what you're speaking. When you get together with people, would other people say that this person, their speech is normally edifying or normally destructive? Uh, Is this person complaining and gossiping and slandering with their speech? Or are they building people up and giving thanks and encouraging? Live as builders. And it says here that we should, in order to fulfill this responsibility as, as builders, that we can, must speak only as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so think. Think. Before you speak, you've heard that, think before you speak, is this going to give grace? Is this going to be a gracious thing for me to say? Is this going to be a gift to build them up and to help them? Sometimes that means rebuking somebody. Sometimes that means correcting a person. So this isn't to say that there's no place for that, but your correction and your rebuke is not a place to destroy them, but it's a place to redirect them and get them to come back and love God with all their heart. That your heart is for them, you love them, you care about them, and you are seeking to build them up. And so I want to encourage you, when you talk with people, think about what they're going through. Think about conversation as two ways. You're not just in that conversation for no reason. You're in that conversation because God's put you in that conversation to speak and to build and to edify that person. So think, is there wisdom that I can offer for a situation that this person is going through? Is there encouraging word that I can say to this person that will help them during this time? Are they weary? Are they discouraged? Is there something that I can do to build them up? Is there something I can do to offload them? Is there a tangible way I can bless them? Is there a connection I can make to someone who can help them? Think about all these things and speak them and serve and build one another up. We are builders, and so we must live as builders, put off all that which does not build up and only speak for other people's edification. And when you do that, not only will you be edifying people, but you will also not grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice this verse. It says that uh, right after, you know, speaking only what builds up, that it may give grace to those who hear, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when you speak in a way that tears down, guess what you're doing? You're grieving the Holy Spirit who just who who built you guys up, the Holy Spirit who's dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit who has sealed each and every single one of us who have believed in Christ, the Holy Spirit who each of us has received as a down payment, as a, a first installation of the glory that is to be revealed on the day when we have our full glorified resurrected bodies and enjoy our life with Christ for all eternity with each other. So we have no business tearing one another down, and it, gr- to do so grieves the Holy Spirit. I love what R.A. Torrey says on grieving the Holy Spirit. He, he says here, it's a longer quote, but he says, there's perhaps no passage in the entire Bible in which the personality of the Holy Spirit comes out more tenderly and touchingly than in Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are saved until the day of redemption. He says here, grief is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a blind impersonal influence or power that comes into our lives to illuminate, sanctify, and empower them. No, he is immeasurably more than that. He is a holy person who comes to dwell in our hearts, who sees clearly every act we perform, every word we speak, every thought we entertain, even the most fleeting fancy that is allowed to pass through our minds. And if there is any act or word or deed that is impure, unholy, unkind, selfish mean petty or untrue this infinitely holy one is deeply grieved by it i know of no thought that will help one more than this to lead a holy life and to walk softly in the presence of the holy one and he says how often a young man is kept back From yielding to the temptations that surround young manhood by the thought that if he should yield to the temptation that now assails him, his holy mother might hear of it and would be grieved beyond expression. How often some young man has had his hand upon the door of some place of sin that he's about to enter and thought, if I should enter there, my mother might hear of it and would nearly kill her. And he has turned his back upon that door and gone away to lead a pure life that he might not grieve his mother. But there's one who is holier than any mother. One who is more sensitive against sin than the purest woman who ever walked this earth and who loves us as even no mother ever loved and who dwells in our hearts. And if we are really Christians, he sees every act we do by day or under the cover of night. He hears every word, public or private. He sees every thought we entertain. And he is grieved by it. If we allow those words, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, to sink into our hearts and become the motto of our lives, they will keep us from many a sin. So before you speak that word that tears down, remember the Holy Spirit in your midst and in your heart and in that person's heart. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You want to know how to make the Holy Spirit happy? Speak words that edify, speak words that encourage, speak words of affirmation, speak words of love, speak and give grace as there is need. And this leads then to our last role in our passage that shows us very practically how to live our new life in Christ. How shall we live? We should live as members, soldiers, providers, builders, and last as peacemakers, we see this in the last two verses of our passage. It says, we see that the role is this role, role of peacemaker. Uh, that's essentially what's going on here. The responsibilities first listed negatively. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then positively, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Live as peacemakers. Live as peacemakers. The, the bitterness that's described here is resentri- resentment and hatred in the heart. Mention here of wrath and anger and clamor and slander all together uh, s- speaks of a, a sinful anger. And not only that, but uh, it's, 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 it's loud, it's clamor, it's shouts and screaming and being angry at the people. Being, fighting, Uh, a lot of times with this, slander comes along with it because you're so mad at a person that you just want to say something that's going to hurt them or destroy them or their reputation. All of this is unrighteous and unholy. And we should have nothing to do with it. None of it belongs in our new life in Christ. And so we have to put it all away. If you're here and you're struggling with any of those things, with any believer or within your home, confess it, repent of it, get accountability for it, grow in it so that your home is a place of peace and your family being a place of peace can also bring peace to others and have peace in the local church. Live as peacemakers. Instead of all of those those vices listed, we are to... take up the responsibility as peacemakers to do the exact opposite. Instead of the clamor, instead of the arguing, instead of the the quarreling, instead of the slander, we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. These are the things that make for peace. The anger and the clamor and the slander are things that make for war. And the only way to go, once war has been, you know, declared, the only way to, to stop the war is to make peace. And the only way to stop and confront these things is with the list that Paul gives. So we have to put those off and then put on the kindness, the tender hardness, the forgiveness, the graciousness towards each other. Now in that moment, you may feel like that's the last thing that you feel like doing. But you're not here to do what you feel like doing. You're here to walk in the footsteps of your Father in heaven. You're here to walk like Jesus walked. You're here to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, we have our perfect model, our perfect example in our Father in heaven who so loved us that he sent his son. He was so tenderhearted, so forgiving that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that whoever believes in him can be forgiven and have eternal life. And if we've believed in him and we've been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future, that whole giant mound of them that we could not even count, that only God knows, then how do we not forgive our brothers and our sisters in Christ for their little tiny amount of sins? Just as God forgave us in Christ, so we, following Christ, walking in the footsteps of our Father, must show the same exact grace. And when we do, when we're willing to sit down when we're willing to do the hard thing, to humble ourselves, when we're willing to, to make peace and to extend forgiveness, then we're being like our Father. Then we're imitating Him and we're walking in love. Then we are, we are truly putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because we, like Him, are being peacemakers. Peacemakers. I love what Ken Sandy says. It's a book uh, called Peacemaker that we read as a church together. I loved his preface. He says this, Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. Grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ, and then they bring his love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to conflicts of daily life. God delights to breathe his grace through peacemakers and use them to dissipate anger, improve understanding, promote justice, and encourage repentance and reconciliation. And that's what it's about, church. We're after repentance and reconciliation constantly. Because we've been made right with God. When we were his enemies, he made peace with us. And so when we get turned against each other and people sin against us, we want to make peace as well with them. That requires forgiveness. Is there anyone who you have not forgiven? Are there any believers who you've not made peace with that you have ongoing conflict with? Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And in doing so, you will be a peacemaker. Peacemakers, Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God." Why? Because you're following your father's footsteps. Where'd you learn to do that? Christ. How do you do that practically? By living as members and soldiers, right? As providers, as peacemakers, as builders. May the Lord give us grace to do that more and more and having a clear vision of how we are to live, that we would do it with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen, church? Father, thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless your people, Lord. That they would have clarity on how to live, Lord. That they would follow in your footsteps, O Father. And that we would, as a result, please you and honor you and live lives that imitate you. That we would walk as you do, Lord. And we pray, God, that as we do so, you would shower down upon us your glory, your grace your joy, your happiness, Lord, that we might taste it in a greater and greater measure, even though we know it's only a taste now, Lord. And we know that we'll taste it in full later. But Lord, help us to taste and see that you are good. And help us, Lord, to be good to one another and to be gracious. Use us, O oh Lord, to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.